So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. The next Parliament of Canada will have a record number of visible minorities. Visible minorities. Yes, Andre, I know you don't like that term, and neither do I, but 46 visible minority MPs were elected last week. So that makes, what, 16.6% of the House, according to the math that I saw. If you include the 10 Indigenous MPs who were elected, also a record. That's true. As far as women go, how do they do? 26% of MPs elected were women. Which would, if we're talking about the general Canadian population, mean that Canada is 74% male. Well, obviously not. Women are still 51% of the Canadian population. We have a long way to go on that score. But, you know, some other firsts. First MP who was born in Afghanistan. Two Iranian-Canadian MPs. And the first Canadian MP of Somali descent. That's Ahmed Hussein, and he's going to be joining us today. Yep. Ahmed left Somalia when he was 16 years old, came to Canada as a refugee, and then went on to become a lawyer and president of the Canadian Somali Congress. And now he's the new Liberal MP for the riding of York Southwestern in Toronto. So we're going to hear how he got there and what he plans to do in just a minute. I'm Andre Demise. And I'm Desmond Cole. And this is Canada Land Commons. This episode is sponsored by Canadian Journalists for Free Expression. CGFE is an organization that works to protect the right to free expression in Canada and around the world. Their website is a great resource to learn about the issues like whistleblower protection and Bill C-51. I asked CJFE's executive director, Tom Hennifer, to tell me more. It's all very focused on how this legislation, government practices, how they will impact you, and then also explaining situations in places like Ukraine or Russia, uh, Mexico, what's going on with the free expression climate in those places, like how um, the Brazilian government treats journalists or how people's free expression rights are being impacted in the lead up to major sporting events like the Olympics or the World Cup, because there's a lot of controversy around that and there's a lot of repression that goes on. Go to cjfe.org to read these stories and to find out how you can get involved with this fantastic organization. As a listener of Commons, you get a 70% discount on CJFE membership. Just enter the word Canada Land when you sign up. So read up, get informed, and learn what you can do to protect your rights. Today we are joined by Ahmed Hussein, who is the next member of Parliament for York Southwestern in Toronto. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your, uh, your background? Yes, I, I was born in Somalia and I came to uh, Canada at the age of 16 in 1993. 
I have two brothers who were already here at the time, and I moved in with one of them. He was already living in Parkdale High Park, so I joined him. And then a uh, few months after that, I moved in with a cousin uh, who was going to Mohawk College in Hamilton, Ontario. And I, I went to high school there at uh, Sir John A. Macdonald, finished that, and then came back to Toronto. Most of my life in Canada has been lived in Toronto, uh, except for a couple of years when I had to go to Ottawa to uh, do law school. And now I'm back and uh, running for, well, I ran for office and now I'm starting a new job. Yeah, and you had a pretty uh, colorful background. As I understand, you were president of the uh, Canadian Somali Congress? Yes. Uh, so I was working with that organization. They had a leadership at the time in 2005, and I uh, had a history of uh, doing some communications work for the former Premier of Ontario, Dalton McGuinty. So they, they approached me and said, could you help this new national uh, advocacy body to do some uh, media work? So I joined the Canadian Somali Congress at that time. And a few years after that, the founding president uh, ran for office for the provincial conservatives in 2007. And because he was running for office, he had to pass along the leadership of the organization. And the consensus among the group was that I should head the organization. I, I didn't want to do it, but I, uh, after a lot of pressure, I, I said, sure, I'll do it, but on, on one condition, which is that the organization has to change. It has to, the leadership has to be young people. Yeah. Our communities need to bring forth young people and young women, two constituencies that people pay lip service to, but don't actually include at the table. Mm -hmm. So that was my precondition to leading the organization. And, uh, I got to give those elders some credit because they, they listened. They said, sure, if that's what it takes to get you, we'll do that. And we did. So we had a, a board of five people, uh, and three of them were young women. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. What was it like for you to be campaigning during the Syrian refugee crisis? I mean, you're somebody who's uh, done a lot of work yeah. um, representing marginalized communities. Yes. And uh, during the election campaign, there was a lot of marginalization of certain communities globally. Mm -hmm. um, part of that was the uh, the Syrian community. Yes. Uh, which was facing a refugee crisis. So can you explain what that was like on a day-to-day -day basis? Were you getting asked questions or? Uh, so the, the, what we did was we got ahead of the issue. So uh, myself, uh, Arif Virani, who uh, is the new member-elect, MP-elect in uh, Parkdale, Parkdale, High Park. Parkdale High Park, yeah. He's, uh, he, he came here as a, a, a small child. His parents fled Uganda during the Idi Amin uh, rule and where he... He basically gave all the uh, the, the Ugandan Asians a right, few he, hours he evicted, to leave the country. Yeah, most some, uh, so uh, they Ugandan left all their too. belongings behind. He only yeah. allowed them, I think, a briefcase or two. Mm -hmm. So uh, myself, him, and Gary and Sangarai from uh, Scarborough Rouge Park, who's also a refugee from Sri Lanka, the three of us joined uh, John McCallum, Arnold Chan, and Jane Philpott, who had done some work in Africa too to get ahead of the issue by urging the government to accept uh, 25,000 Syrian refugees, which is a very reasonable request because the neighboring countries have taken in millions of, of, right. of Syrian refugees. Lebanon, a small country, has taken, I think, uh, two million, almost 2 million. Syria, uh, Turkey has taken in 4.2 million Syrians. Right. Jordan, uh, similar number. So, and these are much smaller countries, both as far as geography and. But also in yeah. terms of their resources, right, Th these are right. not wealthy countries. Mm -hmm. So if, if if Jordan and Le poor Lebanon and Jordan can take in millions of Syrian refugees, 
what, why is it so controversial for Canada to take 25,000? That's what we thought at the time. And we were really hoping um, that uh, the government would not politicize the issue and that they would break away from their partisanship and, and join the other two parties in terms of having a consensus on this. In fact, uh, uh, the liberal leader, Justin Trudeau, at the time called for an all, uh, the, 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 he called for all the leaders of the three parties uh, to, to meet, to talk about this issue and to arrive at, at, uh, at, a, at a point where we can move very, very quickly to bring uh, Syrian refugees. So we had a roundtable. We met with, uh, so uh, Arif, uh, Virani, myself, and Gary, and, and John McCallum, Arnold Chan, and Jane Philpott. We had, um, we met in a nonpartisan way with uh, a lot of stakeholders who are serving refugees and who are willing to sponsor them now. And we heard ab about uh, the obstacles that they were facing uh, from the federal government, and we took note of that. And uh, it just strengthened uh, the party's resolve in terms of the number that we had committed to, but also, uh, by the way, the 25,000 is government-assisted. Right. But uh, but there are those privately, who are also privately assisted. Privately yeah. assisted is, is potentially unlimited because as long as the organization or, or the family can bring uh, Syrian refugees and they can meet the criteria, then it's fine. The problem was the federal government was being an obstacle in a lot of these uh, sponsorships and we're very much against that. Are you satisfied so far with the government's response? With, well, with, with, what with the conservatives? To, well, what we've been able to do so far and then as far as what the other parties have pledged, uh, including yours, do you think that we've had a satisfactory response to the crisis? First of all, the, the response from the conservative uh, government has been uh, terrible. It, it hasn't been a concern that has taken into consideration our tradition of welcoming mm -hmm. refugees. Historically, we've always done. Well, depending on who you ask, I yeah. mean, there are some refugee groups that have been uh, openly welcomed, and yes. there are some refugee groups that have been turned away. Mm -hmm. um, Canada famously turned away uh, Jewish refugees. Yes, uh, in the Second World War. Right, yeah. parts of the Second World War. We also yeah. did turn away uh, a lot of South Asian refugees mm -hmm. um, in British Columbia. That was the Komagata Maru incident. That's right. Uh, and there are a lot Six. of groups. Uh, yeah, uh, Tamils well, have had the same right. issues. Let's not forget the MV Sun C in 2010. Yeah. I was just getting to that. So Tamils were also um, uh, given, there was a lot of obstacles for them immigrating yeah. to Canada. So there's been sort of a mixed bag as far as Canada's response to humanitarian sure. crises overseas. Mm -hmm. What do you think we can be doing differently now? Uh, look, I think it starts from the attitude. If you view refugees only through the prism of security, 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 and you use security as a way to excuse not doing anything, then you won't get far. And that's what we've had from the Harper government. Uh, I can tell you for a fact that we will be different in the mm -hmm. sense that our attitude will be different. But, uh, you know, the numbers, the immediate numbers in terms of the government assistant is, what, 20 times what the Harper government has been able to do so far? Mm -hmm. And that's just the government. But again, we're more than happy to not be an obstacle and to get out of the way and to actually help private uh, Canadians, uh, organizations and, and, uh, and families who are, who are willing to step forward and, and help in this regard. The conservatives have made a mess of immigration. Immigration is a tough file, but they've made a mess of it, particularly for the last nine years. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the reasons I ran, I, I think, for example, Bill C-24, because it's citizenship and immigration, right? It's the same thing. It's sort of like the same portfolio, I should say. So 
C24 uh, is is an appalling piece of legislation that creates two-tier Canadian citizenship. Right. It's something that really uh, strikes And just to clarify for our listeners, C24 is the bill. C24 is a bill that well, it's been passed. So now it's a it's law and it came into force uh, in June 2015. It creates it's in essence it creates two classes of citizenship mm-hmm. in the sense that if a bureaucrat the minister or his designate uh, considers you a dual citizen, then you may lose your citizenship uh, due to certain uh, criteria. So the law says if you're a dual citizen or have the potential to be a dual citizen, Mm -hmm. meaning, you know, if my son's son, uh, if a bureaucrat determines that my son's son can potentially be a dual citizen if he goes back to Somalia, then that bureaucrat will consider him a dual. Right. So it's not even, you know, it captures much more than what we think it captures. Because people say, oh, well, it only captures those who are dual citizens. But they're not. It captures much more than that. Uh, And the problem with the bill is once that bureaucrat makes the decision, you don't have a full right to appeal in front of a court of law. You only have judicial review, which is a much narrower um, uh, option. So no no automatic right to appeal. You, you only do judicial review. And I remember telling a, a lawyer friend of mine, this is terrible, you know, this shouldn't be happening. And, uh, and we were talking about C24, and he said, well, yeah, but it only affects a few people who will engage in terrorism and treason and so on. Right. I said, yes, but once you open that door, other things will happen. So the very next day, it was co- very coincidental. So the next day, uh, Harper mused about expanding the categories in which you could be captured. Uh, he, he expanded the number of offenses that could potentially be captured by C24 in a future conservative government. So he said we could include murder and you know sexual crimes against children, that kind of thing. So you have this l- law that they passed, and then now he's saying, well, we, you know, if we get elected, we may expand C24, amend it, and bring in more. Uh, crimes. Yeah, categories under which you could possibly it, have so citizenship stripped. It, it sounds very similar, really, to the argument around uh, the niqab, where the government tried to make a new rule and then mused that, hey, perhaps if we're reelected, yeah. we could see if we could ban it not just in citizenship ceremonies, but in public offices and 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 and, and yeah. no, and and more than that, denial of services and denial of service as well. Indeed, and we saw this in Quebec as well. Just quickly on C twenty four, what's yes. your government's plan now that you're in office? Repeal it. I I have that on the public record uh, when Mr. Trudeau came to visit uh, me in uh, York Southwestern and Hell Park. Uh, this was pre-writ, actually. He came to visit York Southwestern, and one of the things I brought up with uh, brought up to him is C24, and he did say at that time, and has said many many times after that, that C24 is an, is is offensive to Canadians because it creates different classes of citizenship. Uh, the party's position is that we will repeal C24. And one more quickly, same yes. line, on the issue of 25,000 refugees, Yes, your government's uh, government-elect, I guess, your, yes. t- your well, timeline for yeah. bringing in these 25,000 refugees is what? Uh, as soon as possible. Okay. And given how emotional this issue has been, it played out very large during the campaign. It's something that a lot of Canadians are concerned about. Um how how important is it that your government delivers on this, given how much uh, 
how how much danger people are fleeing and how seriously Canadians want to help? Well, it's a serious issue. And look, we have the capacity as a country to do the necessary checks on the ground. Uh, these are you know, men, women, and children who are fleeing uh, horrendous violence, who need sanctuary. And uh, Canada has always been uh, a home to those who are seeking uh, sanctuary. And these are you know, uh, children just like our children. And I believe strongly that the Liberal government uh, will deliver on that promise. Can we ask you now about another very controversial piece of legislation during this election? And that is uh, Bill C-51, yes. which was a new anti-terror provision, so-called anti-terror provision that the Harper government brought in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, this happened very sh- soon after the attack on Ottawa, for which the anniversary was just a few days ago. Yes, And it was said to be being done to strengthen Canada's ability to detect uh, terrorism, to to stop it before it begins, and to prosecute people who engage in it. Okay. But a lot of critics have said that this bill goes too far and in, it, in je- it jeopardizes and endangers our, our civil rights. Yeah. Is it really wise of the Liberal Party to amend this bill? And what specifically is in it that is so necessary that it should be kept and amended? What What's in there that we need that we don't already have? That's a great question. So I'll give you a perfect example for, of that. Do you remember the Mehar Arar uh, case? Indeed, Mehar Arar, for our listeners, was uh, taken from the United States and sent to uh, Syria, Syria, where he was held and tortured. The Canadian government eventually admitted that it was a mistake f- to allow U.S. authorities to send him to Syria. And Mahar Arar has received compensation and, and, an, apology. and an apology from and the government. Apology. But please, right. yes, thank you. So uh, one of the good things that came out of uh, that uh, horrible uh, episode is we had uh, the Mehar Arar inquiry. And one of the things that uh, Justice O'Connor uh, learned is that Meher, inqui- uh, Meher Arar had been cleared by CSIS in terms of his associations or what people thought he was involved in, uh, sorry, what that agency thought. And they had cleared him after investigating him. And the critical error was that they hadn't shared that information or updated the information by sharing it with the, the RCMP. And so the RCMP had this old information that contained uh, alleged suspicions of Mr. Arar. Now, when the Americans, was, when Mr. Arar was coming back to Canada and he was transiting, uh, I believe, through the United States, the United States uh, authorities had contacted their RCMP counterparts and had asked for, uh, for information on Mr. Arar. And it was at that point that the RCMP, I believe, gave... Uh, wrong, the wrong information to the Americans, and, and that resulted in Mr. Arar being uh, deported to Syria. So one of the key recommendations of the uh, Meha Arar inquiry was that CSIS and the RCMP should, have, uh, should share information in a timely and quick manner so that these kinds of things don't happen. That recommendation is part of C-51. That part of C-51 I support because I think that that uh, helps Every Canadian, because if you know, if the RCMP and the, and CSIS can't talk to each other, and, and one agency has the wrong information on me, then I'd like the, the them to to get the the right information from the other agency. Sure. So so that's just one example. Yes. Uh, there are many many other provisions of C fifty one that 
uh, don't work for Canadians, that, are, that, that offend civil liberties, that offend our charter. Um, I wanted to raise one specifically, actually, yes. because I, I think this issue of expanding preventative detention, mm -hmm. which means that you can arrest someone on the idea that they may commit a crime rather than having proof that they will. And that this is actually going to be expanded under Bill C-51 as it currently exists. It has been expanded. Why do we need to be able to hold Canadians who have not been charged with a crime, who have not had evidence presented against them in a court of law for longer periods of time? Why, does, why should, should the government have that? Do you want to take that out of the bill? So here's the thing. Uh, so when the, the bill was first brought in the House, uh, the Liberal caucus at the time tried to work in Parliament to try to amend some of these provisions. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting that the NDP that uh, has been campaigning on C-51 saying we, we're going to repeal C-51, at the time, uh, they outnumbered the Liberals on the committees that were looking at, the parliamentary committees that were looking at C-51. On each and every amendment that the Liberals brought, some of which were adopted by the Conservatives, including uh, one, one uh, amendment was a liberal amendment that actually succeeded uh, included, because in the original form, C-51 authorized CISIS agents to arrest people and handcuff them. Um, the liberals said that's going too far because CISIS is not a police uh, service and they shouldn't do that. So they put forward an amendment. The, the government surprisingly took uh, that amendment and removed that, that provision. But there were many others. For example, having oversight, having sunset clauses. And in each and every amendment that the party brought forward, I think it was eight times, the NDP would vote against uh, those amendments. So you had, uh, you had one party that was, uh, the conservatives that were scaring Canadians, saying we need the sweeping legislation and we can't be asked any questions because there are terrorists hiding behind every door. And then you had the NDP scaremongering everyone and saying, uh, you know, we gotta we gotta run for our lives because there's a CSIS agent behind every plant. Okay, I, so I, I, so I, I, so, I, the, so so just to finish, so so this issue was really politicized. Yes, a lot of people didn't even read the bill. It's a huge uh, piece of legislation. I'm encouraged by the fact that the Liberal government that's incoming has said that this will be the second uh, item that they'll deal with. For, the first is the middle-class tax cut. Second one will be to reform uh, Bill C-51. I'm not going to get ahead of that and say and, and tell you which parts they're going to remove, but maybe we can have that conversation after that. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I just think it, it, it's now you guys are government, uh, despite what happened in committee, and it's important to know what parts of that bill you do have a problem with. But this is an ongoing discussion, as you say. Well, I was going to ask the question. I mean, you said that um, on one hand, the uh, conservatives are sort of scaremongering and saying that there is a terrorist lurking yes. behind every door and that yeah. the NDP is saying that the thesis is lurking behind every door to... Right. Uh, violate your privacy rights. But, I mean, we already had seen multiple instances where uh, the federal government was asking for more power, a broader mm -hmm. scope for CSIS and other law enforcement and or, uh, organizations yep. uh, to essentially violate our privacy or at least to be able to uh, uh, look at, into what we're doing on our uh, our email or our communications yes. um, without judicial oversight. But one might argue that the NDP, by rejecting the amendments, were essentially rejecting in principle the essence of, of the bill itself, saying that we won't accept any part or parcel of this bill. 
That, that's one way to look at it. But the conservatives had a majority. So how would you, uh, if you're so concerned about uh, civil liberties, why would you vote against an, an amendment that would remove a new power that was supposed to be given to cease to arrest individuals? Right. I mean, I don't think that's, that's my style of leadership. I, I would accept that amendment to remove the ability of ceases to arrest people. I see. Uh, and the NDP voted against that amendment. I, I don't get that logic. Switching gears for a second. So I want to talk about the fact that uh, we've made a lot of noise yes. in the last few days about how much more gains that visible minorities, by the way, I really hate that term, but okay. that visible minorities have made in the election. What term do you prefer? Uh, racialized people. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because essentially, I mean, we, you know, by saying you're a visible minority means I can look at you and tell that you're not white, but mm. that's a whole other kettle of fish. <laughs> um, but we do say that visible minorities made gains in the election, um, but parliament is still far more white and uh, more male than the, the Canadian population. Hmm. Um, though the Liberals did field uh, quite a few candidates of color. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, now we have more uh, black MPs now than we ever have. Yes. So what do Let's you... Let's not forget about 10 Indigenous, uh, and, 10 indigenous yeah. members of Parliament elected. I believe eight from the Liberal Party. Is that correct? Well, uh, if you want to run the gamut, I mean, there are now uh, 10 Indigenous members of Parliament, uh, which is higher. Uh, there are also more Muslim Canadian MPs. Yeah. Uh, I believe there are 10 of them. Not mistaken, um, but it's it's higher than it ever has been. So yeah. we can see that zero to ten—that's progress. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we can see that there are um, the the makeup of Parliament is starting to closer reflect the Canadian demographic. Yes. But uh, what do you make of that? Do you see that as a success story, or do you think there's still more work to be done? There's always work to be done because I think the ultimate ideal is for Parliament to look like Canada, and it's we and and also for. Uh, for provincial legislatures to look like Canada. I think everyone can agree on that. Uh, and once we agree on that, we should, uh, we, should, we should work towards that. I want to ask you about the campaign that we just witnessed, historic yes. campaign. You are a Muslim. Yes. I believe that the targeting of Muslims in this election, particularly by the conservative government, uh, but not limited to them, shows us that xenophobia and racism are still very powerful political tools in this country. And although you defeated the conservatives quite decidedly, they got a third of the vote in this election despite those campaign tactics. What do you think it says about our country that Muslims could be so targeted and that it would be in some ways a successful campaign strategy? My best uh, answer to that would be that the antidote to to marginalizing people and, and, and promoting uh, intolerance of people, the antidote to that is education. I think the more people get to know each other, the, the less they are likely to hate their neighbor or be uh, convinced that somehow their neighbor is, a, is not a full Canadian or a, a full member of the society. I'm heartened by the fact that Canadians rejected the politics of division that Mr. Harper uh, and his party propagated in the last election. Fair enough. Given that, um, you know, the, uh, the liberals have talked, uh, discussing how, you know, Canadians, essentially the spirit of being Canadian um, is built in tolerance and respect. Yes. At the same time, the Liberal Party did vote in favor of the Zero Tolerance for Barbaric Cultural Practices Act. Um, we had a, an episode uh, a few months back where we discussed what's actually in the act. And essentially it's just, it's making illegal acts illegal again. And then essentially it was cobbled together under the guise of trying to protect Canadians from barbaric, for example, female genital mutilation, 
uh, or shipping children overseas to be married off, mm-hmm. um, acts which are already illegal. So how do we square that? How do we square the obvious Islamophobia and xenophobia wrapped up in trumpeting this kind of a bill, along with the liberal choice to vote for that act? I actually don't have information on on that on the on the vote that you're speaking to. Um, when did that vote happen? Uh, that was, uh, I believe, it was June of last year. But mm-hmm. um, I did actually have like the the full rundown yes. of uh, votes for that bill. So uh, the the conservatives unanimously unanimously yeah. supported the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, the liberals also did support the bill. I see. Yeah. I I don't have a comment on that. I would have to uh, look into that. I wasn't aware of, of, of the, the, the way the vote happened, the way yeah. you, 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 you state to me. So I would have to uh, find out a little bit more information about that. But I was aware that there was debate around that. There was even late in the campaign, there was a, a telephone line that the government uh, said that they will... Um, the Barbaric Cultural yeah, Practices hotline? Hotline, yeah, yeah. I thought that was... Uh, I mean, it, it would have been funny if it wasn't... Uh, tragic in terms of the signals that it was sending to Mm -hmm. people. You know, it's the promotion of of suspicions against certain people and and kind of turning Canadians uh, against each other. I I thought that was terrible to campaign on on dividing people and turning them against each other. It's not the Canada that uh, that I remember from the 1990s. For the record here, we do have the vote here. I I, I can't see the day here. 30 liberals did support the Barbaric Cultural Practices Act. Um, Sorry, it's called the Zero Tolerance for Barbaric Cultural Practices Act. Um, The names of these bills sometimes, I must say. We have a couple more questions for you in closing here, Ahmed. And one of them is that, you know, you came to this country, from what we understand of your story, with very little. Yes. Poverty... And working with low-income and disenfranchised people has always been a part of your work. At the same time, this Liberal Party has focused their campaign very much on targeting the middle class. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how you, as somebody who has devoted yourself to so much work with low-income and disenfranchised people, can square that responsibility with a Liberal Party that seems decided on another group of people. Well, very simple. The first item of business for this government will be, this incoming government, would be a tax cut for the middle class. But if you look at the income bracket that they're talking about, it's $44,000 to $89,000. $44,000 is not a lot of money in the city of Toronto, for example. No. So we're not talking about uh, wealthy people by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I will tell you a number of things that are in the Liberal Party platform that would make you uh, rethink that question. One, uh, the Liberal Party is the only party that has promised that if we were to get into government, we would um, provide a grant of $3,000 to low-income students in post-secondary education, $1,800 for part-time students. That's a grant. Mm -hmm. It's not a loan. That's a huge investment in helping people who have difficulty accessing uh, post-secondary education due to economic circumstances. Sorry to interrupt, but is yeah. that a one-time grant or is no, it's not. that a, re- a repeated grant? Right. So they can apply for that grant over and over? Yes. Okay. Uh, secondly, uh, the Liberals have been much, much bolder than the uh, NDP in terms of transit. The NDP uh, had promised to spend uh, $3.6 billion over 10 years on transit for this whole country. Uh, our commitment was $20 billion. You know, so in every category, we were more progressive. Like, it wasn't even close. 
affordable housing and transit are two pieces that folks who are struggling use to move up in their life. I did. Mm-hmm. And, and so investments in transit directly impact uh, folks uh, who are moving up uh, from very low economic circumstances. Affordable housing is a huge, huge part of the liberal platform, $20 billion in social infrastructure, which includes affordable housing. Uh, creating jobs through investments in other infrastructure, uh, a strategy that focuses on the creation of uh, jobs for youth. Uh, Much, much bolder, more ambitious targeting and growing the economy, whereas the other two parties are talking about balancing the budget. So I don't think you can limit our program to just inv- uh, helping the middle class. I think it, w- it was just so strong on the messaging sure, of this campaign. Sure, it seemed that that's who the liberals wanted us to believe they were talking to. But if you looked at the platform, which is what they were running on, uh, what we were running on, I should say, um, the investments that they were saying that they would make in these areas, such, such as transit and the general infrastructure and housing, affordable housing, I think that will benefit uh, a lot of people on the lower uh, end of the uh, economic ladder. So just a, a quick follow-up question. So if the uh, the Liberal Party um, was including so much in this platform yes. uh, to make sure that Canadians of lower income are able to access affordable housing, are able to access transit and so on, then why didn't we really hear much about poverty reduction uh, much about we did. Uh, income I, opportunities. I, I disagree. So the uh, the tax cut for the middle class will lift three hundred fifteen thousand children in poverty out of poverty. So we're not talking about you know. Uh, so then, why didn't we hear the liberals actually we, say we did. poverty? That, no, that, we did. I, I, I will agree that yeah. during the campaign trail, this was a line that Trudeau repeated often: was Absolutely. that that tax cut was going to take lift a lot of children out of poverty. Three hundred fifteen. In fact, I. But uh, the thing is, what most what most Canadians tend to look at. I mean, policy wonks like us, and this is why I'm asking these kinds of questions. Sure. Policy wonks like us are going to like watch everything that uh, the Trudeau campaign and the Harper campaign and the the Mulcair campaign is going to do on a day to day basis. But most Canadians just don't have that kind of time. What they're seeing, for the most part, are the campaign commercials. We didn't even really have debates to watch this time around uh, because rather than being carried um, by the uh, the broadcasters, uh, the consortium, by the consortium, it was a, a much, much smaller forum for the debates where hardly anybody was able to watch them. So if you were just following the campaign by the commercials and what you saw in the newspaper headlines, what you saw repeated over and over and over was middle class. I was there behind Mr. Trudeau when he made an announcement for affordable housing in uh, in uh, in uh, in Trinity uh, in Spadina Fort York right and Adam I, uh, Vaughan, uh, we, the BMP yes there and there had, were there yeah. were lots of national and, and local media yeah. I was there when he was making uh, all kinds of announcements throughout the campaign there were uh, many many uh, key piece announcements regarding certain portions of the uh, of the platform that dealt with transit, for example, the the, the $20 billion I, I talked about. Uh, there were aspects to it that reduce traffic and then reduce congestion, then reducing uh, the pollution because you have less cars on the road. But then there's another aspect to it where you spend more time with your family because you have less time to commute, less, less commuting time. Those were highlighted. Right. I, I'm not, the, I, you know, I didn't run the communications to the party, but I can tell you the, they, that got through to me. Just a couple of questions yes. uh, left for you here. One is when you actually get to Ottawa, yes. what are some changes that you want to see made right away? I'm very excited about that first piece of legislation, which is the tax cut for those folks who are making 44000 to about 89000 I I think that will give a lot of folks a break. 
We didn't talk about this, but I, I, I should bring this up. This is really important. You were talking about poverty. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Canada Child Benefit. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. It's better than all the other three combined. I'm talking about the system that exists right now. The other three child benefits, some are taxable, some are not. Some are me- income tested, some are not. It's three different uh, benefits you have to apply to them. You know, this will get rid of all of that. You'll have one benefit called the Canada Child Benefit. If you look at the breakdown, it gives a lot of money back to folks who really need it. And it's tax-free. It's one application. And it lasts longer. It's more generous than the other three. It's going to help a lot of middle-class but also non-middle-class families. Hmm. And I'm happy to say that it'll stop the sending of child benefit checks to millionaires, which is something that the NDP wasn't going to do and that conservatives were certainly not going to do. And finally, you have two young boys at home. Yeah, yeah. You're an MP now. You're going to Ottawa. That's right. This is a big change in your life. It, it How is. is your family feeling about your victory and about the challenges that you're about to face? It's, it's a mixed feeling. Uh, my wife is very proud of the fact that, uh, and she campaigned with me. It was really a family affair. I had my brother putting up signs and we had all kinds of people joining us for the uh, campaign. So obviously they're excited. They're happy that uh, our message of helping uh, folks in York Southwestern, uh, delivering more uh, for transit and affordable housing, they're happy that that message got through and that we got elected. Yes, there's going to be a sacrifice in the sense that I'll be away from my family uh, when the house is sitting in Ottawa. But I will try to minimize that as much as possible by coming back to uh, Toronto as as frequently as possible when the house is not sitting so that I can uh, spend more time with my family. But it's going to be a challenge. It's not a... I've spoken to a few people who are already MPs uh, who are going back to the house and they're, they're saying, spend as much time with your family now because you, it's going to be hard to squeeze in that time later. Well, Ahmed Hussain, Liberal MP-elect, we want to thank you very, very much for coming into the studio and speaking with us this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Desmond and Andre. Much thank appreciated. Yeah. Thanks, Abend. No problem. Anytime. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's open the door and get some air. That's our show for this week. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, and we highly encourage that you do, you can search for us on Canada Land Commons on Twitter. It'll be the first result you find. Our new producer this week is Kevin Sexton, and we thank him. And music by Nathan Burley. You can find us online at canadalandshow.com. If you'd like to send us an email, you can reach me at andre at canadalandshow.com. Or me at desmond at canadalandshow.com. Now here's something else. If you have general questions about Canadian politics, or even suggestions for ideas about Canadian politics that you'd like to be broken down further, you can email our producer. He's kevin at canadalandshow.com. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, because you like this show, chip in. It's patreon.com slash CanadaLand. And while you're at it, please show us some love. Tweet about the show. Give us that wonderful five-star rating. CanadaLand Shortcuts will be up on Thursday, and the next episode of CanadaLand Commons will be out next Tuesday. See you then.
This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 